I'm good? Okay. Welcome to tonight's study. I'm so glad to see so many of you here, and welcome to all those tuning in on our live stream. Um, thank you for the worship. It was so beautiful. I wanted another song. <laughs> um, let's pray before we get started. <sighs> Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord God, and I come before you, Father, just um, seeking your guidance, Lord, for even now, as I'm here before your women, speaking the messages you've given me to share, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would bless it, that you would prepare our hearts, Lord God, to hear what you have for us personally and intimately. I thank you for all the things that you showed me during this time, Lord, sitting at your feet. You're so faithful, Lord God. You're so amazingly faithful, and I praise you. Lord, have your way in all the hearts of everyone listening this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, as we know, tonight's study is on stability, and it's no coincidence on how timely this topic is for nothing with God is random, right? So, we live in an unstable world led by unstable leaders, a world influenced by unstable groups constantly attempting to force their unstable way of thinking onto others. We live in a world of unstable people, unsure of where they come from and not knowing where they go. Today it's this way, tomorrow they say it's that way. Many follow the dictates of government leaders and health organizations, which consist of men and women who also are unstable and without morals, lacking integrity and respect for people, and have no faith in nor reverence for Almighty God. They act on their own agenda. Today, the world appears to be in complete turmoil, and improvement fails to show itself in the immediate future. This past year, as well as the new, has shaken many, causing fear, doubt, depression, anxiety, suicide in both young and old, parents murdering their own children, and some have walked with the Lord for a long time or now have fallen away, and they have turned away from God. What can we do to build up our spiritual stability in such a time as this? <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. For the sake of our um, women's study, I'm going to read it in the feminine. It says, refers to he, but I'm going to refer to she. Blessed is the woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But her delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law she meditates day and night. She shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever she does shall prosper. <clears throat> As God's children, we must be careful not to get caught up in following or the advice of, um, or the advice of, in, or in, un, I'm sorry. As God's children, we must be careful not to get caught up in following the advice or influence of ungodly people. We don't hang out with those who practice sin regularly or associate with the scornful people who are condescending and who enjoy mocking the disadvantages of others. Because associating regularly with such people is not pleasing to the Father, and it's not edifying to the Christian walk, the Christ-like life. 
This doesn't mean that we are not to know or, in, or interact with people who choose not to follow. Jesus, I'm sorry. This doesn't, let's pray real quick again. <laughs> Holy Father, I just ask right now, Lord God, that you would just calm my spirit, Father, and just um, fill me with your power, Lord, your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and speak through me this evening. In Jesus' name I ask. <clears throat> Okay, so this doesn't mean that we are not to know or interact with people who choose not to follow Jesus, nor does God prohibit us from being around them. How else will they witness the life of Christ in us and his love in us as well? Jesus ate with sinners all the time. But we are not to be unequally yoked with such company, making them our inner circle of friends. For in doing so, it will cause harm by affecting our thinking our behavior, our language, by making room for temptation to compromise our witness and our obedience to God. Christians are called to be stable and steadfast like Christ and not waver back and forth like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, James 1 verse 6. So where does our spiritual stability come from? The psalm reads, her delight is in the law of the Lord. Jesus is the word, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. While here on earth, he lived what he taught. He was absolute, stable, firm, and reliable. He is the foundation that we stand firmly on. He is the cornerstone that our faith is built upon. Dating as far back as Bible days, the cornerstone has always been that one main stone, usually bigger and stronger than all the others, used, and the builder would set it in the specific corner of the construction that would be built. All the other stones are supported and aligned by the cornerstone, so that construction, when complete, is secure and stable. The Bible refers to Jesus as the cornerstone, which the church is built on. Jesus is our guide, and our guide and line of measure for our lives. We've heard it taught many times at the pulpit, do not compare yourself to other men and women, but rather to the standard of God. His ways are higher than ours, Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. Isaiah 28, verse 16 through 17a. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. Jesus is the firm foundation to the lives of those who put their trust in him. Our psalm goes on to say, she meditates day and night. Do you meditate on God's word throughout your day? I try, though not every day, <laughs> as I should, because as busy as I get at work all week long, it's quite challenging sometimes. But it leads me to think about Bible days, and I know that it was a different time and all but it had to be a much slower time than we have today. I mean, after all, they didn't have technology distracting them, right? And people had to walk to get everywhere they needed to go, and that alone would give them time to ponder what they read that morning. 
I think about it often because there are many times when I'm out on my lunch break walk that I use it to converse with God and to pray for others and to um, think about what I read that morning to see how much of it I can actually remember. At best, I'll take one of, this, uh, one of the um, verses, a specific verse that stood out to me in the morning, and I'll try to think about it as I'm working. Or I'll listen to studies from different pastors on the same book and chapter that I read to get a different perspective, maybe a couple studies. However, too often I get distracted by an, a phone call or an email, and so it takes real effort to stay tuned in sometimes, and I'm rewinding <laughs> or going back to listen to it again. It is the word of God that washes us, cleanses us, our mind, our thoughts, and if we are thinking throughout our day about it, there, is, there isn't any room for negative thoughts to find a place in our minds. There isn't any room for fear or doubt to set in, because through his word we learn and know that our sovereign God is in control of all things, even when everything around us looks to be falling apart. Sure. We may not understand why certain things happen as they do, and we will hurt and even cry. We'll get scared because we are human, but fear should not consume us because our God promises us to help us. He has promised to uphold us with his righteous right hand. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Knowing God's word well helps us in our spiritual stability, to stand firm, to trust, to hope, because we get to learn more and more of him each time we read through our Bibles. Our God is creator, he is infinite, he is sovereign, he is just, his love for all is boundless. Our hope and our faith is in him alone. Verse three goes on to say, she shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Like a tree planted by rivers of water. Water we know is necessary for a healthy life. It is essential for all living things to survive, plants, animals, and people. Reading and meditating on this verse, I envisioned a current of icy cold water flowing with rushing force. And if you've ever been camping near a river, you can imagine and even hear it, too. And there's a huge tree rooted, grounded, and flourishing beside this river. With its roots, it, they have grown deep into the rich soil. They're drinking from and drawing up the nourishment it requires to remain healthy and strong. I read that roots to a tree will grow as wide as the tree is tall. So that means that the radius of the tree roots will extend far beyond and around the whole tree. Trees have feeder roots, and their primary function is to absorb and transport water and nutrients from the soil to the rest of the tree. Roots anchor the portion of the tree above the ground so that it grows stable and it doesn't fall. Therefore, strong, healthy roots to a tree are crucial. It is so important in our relationship with Christ to be rooted in the word of God. And there is no way of doing so without being in our Bibles daily and often. In doing so, we grow to know him more, and there's no greater foundation than to know the characteristics of our creator intimately. Because when circumstances 
brought about in life present themselves, and they will, we will often be challenged. Will we fall apart, or will we stand stable on what we know to be God's truth for us? It's awesome how God's word likens the life of the Christian to that of a tree that brings forth fruit in due season. The water is the word of God, and if we dig deep enough into the word and absorb it, we will bring forth fruit. Good trees produce fruit, and, ever, and if ever there was a time to be fruitful Christians, the time is now. We should always be fruitful, but the truth is we get comfortable in the routine of our lives, and, the, and that results in our slacking when we should be sharing constantly and looking for opportunity to do so. Sadly, there are so many perishing who are going in the wrong direction, choosing to reject God's gift of salvation. Jesus is the living water, John 4, verse 10. He is the only way to eternal life and to heaven. There is no other way to heaven. I will repeat that. There is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't matter how good a person you think you are, or how well you take care of your family or your aging parents, how much money you give or donate to worthy causes or to your church, or how often you attend your church. Nothing we do saves us. Jesus paid it all on the cross once and for all. Colossians 2, verse 6 through 8. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the, to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And how accurate is God's word? Here this was written thousands of years ago, and today it is relevant to all that we are experiencing. The ungodly are constantly trying to change God's word to justify their way of life, forcing it onto others, and to gain notoriety from the hearts of gullible followers. Those who do not consider God encourage that it's okay to have intimate relations outside of marriage. It's okay to have an alternative lifestyle, that changing your gender to a gender identity is acceptable, and murdering babies in the womb, it's a woman's right. Unstable marriage, no problem, just get a divorce, and it's fine to be gay and lead a church today. The list of defiance toward God and his word is long. Just today, I read a post that Manhattan will no longer prosecute prostitution. Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I know people, as mentioned. I have family members, as mentioned. And I pray often that they would be broken free from the bondage of sin that keeps them separated from God. Courage, conviction, and integrity are some excellent qualities that must be manifested in the life of a stable Christian. And out of love, we need to stand firm and share God's truth every chance we get. It's quite alarming 
how many professing Christians lack spiritual stability, though, mostly because they are too concerned about offending people or hurt feelings or being rejected. Driven by emotions rather than by sound doctrine, the church is growing dim and complacent in the present time. The days are getting darker every day, and being a biblical believing Christian will become more and more difficult for us in the days to come. Are we stable enough to stand for our faith? Are we willing to be persecuted for our faith? Maybe not downright killed, although that has happened to some and can happen to us. Perhaps our job or financial security could be threatened, or our health, or our dwelling place, and so on all because of our faith in Jesus Christ and our identifying with him. So many of our freedoms have already been threatened to be taken away. It's heartbreaking how unstable many people are, all because they do not have Jesus as Lord and Savior. Thus they conform to the way the world bends their way of thinking, reflecting through their lifestyles. Why? Because the world is much louder than the church. The Bible teaches that no man or woman is promised tomorrow, that today is the day of salvation. If you haven't yet made the choice for Jesus as Lord, don't risk your eternal state. Life is short. It's but a vapor, says God's word. Eternity, though, is endless. Our verse goes on to finish, whose, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever she does shall prosper. The Bible teaches in Psalm 37 that we will delight ourselves in the ways of the Lord, that if we delight ourselves in the way of the Lord, that he will give us the desires of our heart. When we are saved, we become a new creation, says the Bible. We no longer desire or enjoy the former things that used to make us happy. Instead, we have, the joy, instead we have joy in the things of God because we are in alignment with God and his instruction for us found in his word. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he governs our choices. In our new life, we want the things of God, and what we do, we will surely prosper in if he has called us to it. Through our obedience to God, we do not grow weary or faint because it is such joy to be covered by his divine providence. We know that this life is brief and our home is in heaven. And as God's instruction was to Adam and Eve when creation was complete, and to Noah and his sons after the flood, and to us as well, be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 1:28 and 9:1. And I know that that context is like to be fruitful and multiply was to have more children, and a lot of us are beyond our children bearing years. But I also looked at it too as be fruitful and multiply in the way of believers, like share the word, and so that people can know true life like God intended for them. We are to be steadfast pilgrims while here on this journey known as life, abiding in him and being salt and light to those around us so that others can come to know Jesus as Savior. I've said it before, this world is uncertain, and difficult times and trials are eager to turn our lives upside down. Daily, we face spiritual battles, and the only difference each day is the level of testing or pain caused that we must persevere. As warriors in the faith, we must guard ourselves with the armor of God, for a soldier never goes out to war without 
the uh, required attire, Ephesians 6, verse 11. As believers, one of our greatest weapons is memorizing God's word. It's a good practice to be in, and it doesn't matter how long it takes you to retain a verse. The important thing is that you are applying yourself in doing so. Because God has promised us in his word that the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance all that is required when needed. John 14, verse 26. And God's faithfulness is sure. There have been many times that I'll get a phone call or a circumstance will arise through that phone call and I'll call out, oh Lord, please help me or please help us. And right then the Holy Spirit will bring to mind a verse and at that very moment it reminds me that he's near. And so often we want to set our focuses on the situation at hand. But don't do that because it can be so overwhelming at times and that will only make way for us to be shaken up and to take our eyes off of the Lord. And the enemy wants that for us because then he can take advantage of our weaknesses. Our faith keeps our focus set on the joy and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and his promises to us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10 <clears throat> If you would, please open your Bibles to Philippians. And we'll go through that in a little bit. The Apostle Paul encouraged the church in his letters to Philippi to remain steadfast in the faith. He wanted the church to understand that what truly matters was that they, or that we, live pure and blameless lives until Christ's return. Philippians 1.10 We are to continue by being watchful and living with expectancy to our Lord's return at any given moment so that we do not bring shame upon his arrival. Our stability will reflect in us the fruit of our salvation through the good things produced in our life by Jesus Christ, for this brings glory and praise to God. Verse 111. It pleases the Father for us to use the gifts he's given us to serve his people, to build up the church, to stir up good works within others within the body of Christ. This makes for a strong, stable, and flourishing church. Paul was able to maintain his joy, even while in chains, because he was single-minded, set on heavenly things above and not on the cares of the world. He considered himself to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ and not a prisoner of Rome. At the beginning of his letter, he introduces himself and Timothy as bondservants of Jesus Christ. He lived to serve Jesus. Therefore, if serving involved hardship, then so be it. For it was all joy in doing so for his Lord. And we should have that same mindset as well. Too often, though, we get overly sensitive in ministry, in how someone spoke to us or didn't speak to us, or how they looked at us. That's the world in us. It's all about Jesus and blessing his holy name. And if we are set on him, Nothing anyone says or does will affect us. James 1 verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all ways, in all his ways. The Bible teaches that we cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot have two masters. For not only does that cause us to be double-minded, but we will end up hating one over the other and being loyal to the other over the one. Luke 16 verse 13. 
Let's read um, Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each, others, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind in you, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. <clears throat> and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Verse 17. Yes, and if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. <clears throat> but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, because your but your messenger, and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all, and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice and be, and my, I'm sorry, you may rejoice and may be less sorrowful. Rejoice in him there, rejoice or receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem 
because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. In this chapter, these brothers all shared one thing in common. They were like-minded, each submissive in mind and obedient in their service to the Lord, not considering themselves, but thinking about others before themselves. There wasn't any selfish ambition nor conceit involved, but rather these servants of God shared a love of one, a love for one another and for the church. They each were of one accord, in one agreement to glorify God. Jesus and his submissive example is also included in this chapter, and not by any surprise, for he is our perfect servant king that we should all live life after daily. Just think how strong our churches could be today if we put these, act these actions into practice. These are action words, meaning we must be poured out and apply them in our lives. Something for us to think about as believers. Philippians 3, verse 7 through 8 says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of no the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. In this verse, Paul makes mention of many things, earthly possessions and worldly achievements. At one time, Paul considered himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, but now his joy was found only in knowing Christ more. All the things he once owned, all he, he now counted as rubbish compared to the knowledge of Jesus and knowing his power. In his letter, Paul continues by encouraging the church to press forward and toward the goal as he was. His joy is found in being spiritually minded, heavenly bound, and he pressed toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, verse 314. In verses, seven, <coughs> excuse me. in verses 17 through 21, Paul stresses that as believers, our citizenship is in heaven, and he goes on once again to encourage the church to walk in the same pattern he and his fellow co-laborers had set before them to follow. For joy is found in stability when we are spiritually minded. Paul warns the church of the enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, and it's still the same in the world today. He states that their God is their belly, and their minds are set on earthly things. And just so that it's clear, there's nothing wrong at all with acquiring things while here on, on the earth to make our homes more comfortable, more attractive, to drive nice cars, or to own that vacation boat or that motorhome. But when those things come before the one who provides those things for us, our joy is robbed by them, and we dishonor the Lord. The things we acquire while on earth are just things, and though we should take care of them, we must be careful they do not consume us, our attention, our motivation, our hearts. Because when we meet our appointed date and time, none of it is coming with us. Matthew 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. <coughs> 
Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Chapter 4 of Philippians goes on to encourage us to be anxious for nothing, but to be prayer warriors. And in doing so, we will experience the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Prayer will guard our hearts and our minds. And if we meditate, think about it often, on the things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good, and praiseworthy, our joy will be full because of God's peace in us. James 1, verse 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. These verses must be at the top of the list of those that a lot of us have trouble fully understanding. <laughs> but hopefully, that which God has given me to share with you through Philippians kind of helps us to know that we can have joy in the middle of difficulties and suffering. Most everyone would rather not have trials or troubles, much less do they um, find joy in experiencing them. And if we're honest, we usually pray to be taken out of the situation rather than to learn from it. But we can be assured that our faithful and gracious God takes all things we endure and weaves them into something that is for our good, Romans 8.28. He uses it to grow us in our faith, to build us up, and equip us in being stable and unwavering so when we are met with future hardship, because there will be more. No, we don't take joy in the difficult matter per se. Rather, we rejoice with joy in the one who has all matters in his hands. And in that, we can take great comfort because we know he loves us and wants what is best for us and for those we love, even when it is too difficult to understand. <coughs> Excuse me. Waiting can be a real test of our stability. Some of you know that I haven't been able to see nor speak to my granddaughter since she just turned seven years old, and I will keep this part brief. I remember early on, right here in the sanctuary, actually, speaking with Kathy about it right after it all happened, and I told her, it's okay, that somehow I knew that God was going to work this out for my good and the good of my family, referring to my son, his wife, and his daughter. So I went on telling Kathy, I'm staying joyful and hopeful because I know that it's going to be all in God's timing. Well, after some years of waiting and wondering when this was going to be over, I reminded God often and pleaded with him, What is the today, the today, Lord? Why is this taking so long? I haven't seen her in the longest time. Does she even remember me by now? What has she been told and what is she thinking? Is she safe or scared? I really didn't know, and I still don't know today. I always referred to, we would always refer to our relationship as peanut butter and jelly, because from day one, she, when she was born, we were always together. We spent so much time together. So much so, she would always tell me before I left from a visit, Grandma, I always know what you're thinking, even when we are not together. And for many years, I held on to that conversation and to many others. But later, as more years passed, my questions turned into bitterness. 
And I'm not sure that I was specifically angry at God, but I do know that I was angry with a lot of things around me. Like a spoiled child not having her way with a decision made by her parents. No, I certainly was not behaving as a stable Christian should. I know that. To this day, I still recall, though, after it all happened, sitting in the foyer right here, and a woman was consoling me, and I can't remember which sister it was to this day, and she was sharing with me how the same thing happened to her son. And um, when her granddaughter had turned 21 years old, that she contacted her dad on her own, and slowly their relationship was restored. All I could think of was 21 years. I can't wait till 21 years old. That's forever. She's only seven. Well, it's been just about 15 and a half years now, and I'm still waiting. But I'm blessed to say that for several years since my tantrum, I'm no longer angry with God or everything around me. And, and um, I have a peace-filled heart again towards him, and I completely trust him knowing that he has a reason for all this waiting, even though I do not understand it still. I do know, without a doubt, that he is well aware of the hurt of my son, my granddaughter, my husband, and I, and that somehow this will be worked out for good, and that is good enough for me. I do trust that his timing is perfect, and so I will continue to wait. My constant prayer, though, is that Sydney has not become bitter with God, and that she has not walked away from him through all of this. Because as a little girl, I do remember how much she loved, loved, loved her Jesus. And in preparing for this study, this part of the study, the Lord kept placing on my heart Joseph. Because if ever there was one who exhibited a spirit of stability through waiting, it would be Joseph. Genesis 37 starts out describing Joseph as a 17-year-old who was hated by his older brothers because they saw that Jacob, his father, loved him more than all of them. And then Jacob goes and makes Joseph a tunic of many colors, which really didn't help matters at all. His brother's hate toward, hatred toward him, they could not conceal, says the Bible. I know it would break my heart to know that my sisters hated me. I'd be sad and crying all the time. But Joseph was not shaken by the contempt of his brothers, or at least the word doesn't indicate so. Joseph had two dreams that give, were given to him by God, and when Joseph shared them with his brothers, they became agitated with him, and the thought of having to bow before their younger brother caused him to despise him all the more. The second dream annoyed even his dad, but the Bible says later he considered what Joseph had shared with him. Joseph was accustomed to informing his father of his older brother's actions. The Bible describes him as having integrity, though I'm sure his brothers thought of him as nothing but a tattletale. And I wonder what kind of things he reported about his older brothers. Were they not honoring their father through their behavior while away from the home? Whatever it was, Jacob felt the need to keep an eye on them as well. Because in Genesis 37, verse 14, Jacob sends Joseph out. Please go see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flock and bring back word to me. When Joseph finally arrived where his brothers were, when they saw him approaching, maybe they thought, here comes that little spy. The, Bibles, the Bible says that they wanted to kill him. However, they all agreed instead on throwing him down a cistern 
without any water, which was the same as leaving him there to die. 1 John 3, verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Afterwards, his brothers decide instead to sell Joseph to some Ishmaelites who were passing by for 20 shekels of silver, and Joseph ends up in Egypt. I am sure Joseph had to be distraught and maybe confused as to why his older siblings would treat him so badly, but nowhere does the Bible make mention of him having anger or hatred in his heart for how they abused him. Luke 6, verse 28, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. In Genesis 39, we know that it was the plan ordained by God that Joseph became successful in serving in Pharaoh's house. Verse 39, verse 3 reads, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Just like the psalm we read earlier. But later, Pharaoh's wife falsely accuses Joseph, and by the order of Pharaoh, he was confined to prison, where it seems he was forgotten for ten years. But while he's incarcerated, he doesn't lose hope and trust in God. With a stable spirit, he continues to serve within the prison walls, tending to the needs of all the other prisoners, giving all glory to God and taking none of the credit for himself. He only asked them that they remember him when they were freed, but they didn't, and Joseph was left in prison waiting some more. In chapter 41, now at the age of 30 years old, Joseph is summoned to stand before Pharaoh to interpret the dreams, his dreams, and he does, announcing seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine, but giving God all the glory for the interpretations while doing so. By the hand of God, Joseph was made responsible for preparing for what was given through the interpretations of Pharaoh's dreams, and Joseph is promoted by Pharaoh, giving him second highest level of power and authority over Egypt. Yet, Joseph remained stable in his faith and continued trusting steadfastly in God, even when with all this power given to him. Psalm 118, verse 8, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. In the chapters to follow, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to search for food because of the famine that had resulted. Joseph, now about 39 years of age, arranges in their meeting to where their, his brothers are forced to acknowledge their sin and confess their wrongdoing toward their younger brother of many years ago. Confession and repentance. Forgiven was given by Joseph toward his brothers, and after 22 years, reconciliation was made and the family was reunited. Even though Joseph's brothers intended evil toward his, their brother, God used it and worked it all and worked all things for the good of not only the family, but for the nation as well, so that they were all blessed with God's provision going forward. Joseph could have given up all hope in God while left there in the cistern, or he could have stopped trusting God during 10 long years in prison or lost faith after 22 years apart from his brothers and father. But rather, he chose to continue trusting in the promises God had given him in his dreams. Joseph could have turned his brothers away, refusing to forgive them for all they had done. He could have refused to help them in their time of need. But spiritual stability in the life of a Christian 
will cause our actions to be wise, loving, gentle, self-controlled, joyful, and good, a Christ-like behavior. Let's pray. Holy Father, I come before you, Lord, with thanksgiving. I pray, Father God, that you are glorified and honored with the words that are shared. Help us, Lord, to be stable Christians, Lord, in this time of um, uncertainty. Help us, Lord, to stand steadfast. Help us, Father, to thirst and hunger for more of your word, to desire to draw ever closer to you, Lord, that we may shine like lights in a dark city and that others may come to know you through us, Father. We love you and praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.